Hey, it's Luke Burbank. This is Livewire Radio. We are backstage at Revolution Hall here in Portland, Oregon. We have an amazing show coming up for you. Our theme is Dark Matters. We've got Chuck Palahniuk, the guy who wrote Fight Club, also music from the Helio sequence. And this woman, Janine Garofalo, who we're going to talk about Dark Matters with. But here backstage, there is randomly a human baby. There's a baby on a table. How are we I mean, the mother is here and was going to change her diaper, I believe. Get in my arms. How the hell are we supposed to do a show about dark matters when you're holding a baby before the show? I would prefer to be well-liked by the most amount of people. If I could do stand-up holding puppies and babies, I would. Just so that the audience would always like me. Can I put this on stage like a prop? And then I'll be in for a 10-minute interview. I'll just put the baby down on the stool. She's here for you. Are, are you actually going to be able to concentrate out there on the stage now that you've had this moment of pure love? Guess what? Day? I'm going to talk about for the five minutes that I'm up there. All right. If we manage to get her to go on stage, we're about to do this radio show. Oh, my God. Thank you so much right for now. Me. Hold this. From PRI, Public Radio International, it's... Livewire! Recorded in front of a live audience at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. It's Livewire with Fight Club and choke author Chuck Polina, stand-up comic and actress Janine Garofalo, with music from the Helio Sequence and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of Livewire, his dark side mates Charles Bukowski, look like Julie Andrews, Luke Burbank! Thank you, Jason Rouse. Thanks, everybody, for coming down here to Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. We've got a great show for you. We have teamed up this episode with the Bridgetown Comedy Festival right here in Portland, Oregon. Our theme is Dark Matters. We've got Janine Garofalo on the show. She's been known to apply a dark sense of humor to things from time to time. We've also got Chuck Polinick, the guy that wrote the book Fight Club, here. Speaking of fight clubs, um, I'm not super proud to admit this, but uh, I will tell you that I am a person that uh, for much of my life was not, let's say, uh, opposed to occasionally entering into fisticuffs. <laughs> Some dude challenged me the wrong way. I know you don't hear a lot of public radio hosts start shows <laughs> with those kinds of proclamations, but it's the... Truth, the thing that they don't tell you, though, in the movies about real fighting is that it is not cinematic <laughs> at all. It's just awkward. <laughs> like, you think you're going to be Tom Cruise in the movie Far and Away throwing, like, a roundhouse at the guy who's trying to take your land in slow motion. And in more reality of my life, it would be, like, I'm at a Chinese restaurant slash bar called the Mandarin Gate in a sort of seedy part of Seattle, and I'm leaving, and I offend this guy. This is a thing that a fight actually occurred over. This drunk guy was mad at me because he thought that I was basically talking shit about the Boston Red Sox, <laughs> which was the hat he was wearing at the time. And maybe I was. Who can remember? <laughs> but I come out of the bar, and I'm standing around talking with my friends, and this guy in the Red Sox hat just comes and like bull charges out of the Mandarin gate, like right into me. And he's one millimeter from my face and he's yelling at me and I'm yelling at him and we're butting chests because that's evolved. That is not in any way what monkeys do when they can't agree on something. And I realize in this moment 
this guy is definitely going to punch me. And I don't want him to do that because he's pretty big. So I decide to distract him by punching him first. And it works. I distract him right down to the ground. And I'm feeling good that I have prevailed in this until his friends jump on me (laughs) and tackle me. And we have what is about to be a full-on melee in this Chinese restaurant parking lot. And amazingly, his friends were not trying to create a melee. They were non-idiots, as were my friends. They just wanted us to stop trying to kill each other for no reason. So they pull us apart. And if this were a movie and I were John Wayne, after I kind of decked this guy, I would have said something cool like, I guess you're all hat and no cattle, partner. (laughs) You know? Or if if I was Stallone in the movie Cobra... I would have said, like, you're the disease and I'm the cure. (laughs) But what they also don't tell you about fighting in real life is you will have so much adrenaline coursing through your veins that you will just say insane things instead, (laughs) like what I said, which was, that's why you're leaving in a Jetta and I'm leaving in an Audi. Like, I yelled this in front of about 30 people. (laughs) That's not even the worst part. (laughs) What I failed to remember was that we had driven my girlfriend's Jetta (laughs) to the Chinese restaurant slash bar. And so I had to walk sheepishly and get in the passenger side of a Jetta that then slowly backed out of the parking spot in front of a totally apoplectic crowd of people. And that is why I started going to therapy and I don't get in fights anymore because I do not trust myself to not say something like that at the end of the fight. So that's my story. Let's get to Chuck Palahniuk's story. As the author of Fight Club, Choke, and 16 other novels. Chuck Palahniuk has garnered quite a following of lovers of dark, inventive, and at times gory tales that have been known to make people pass out and even become ill sometimes at readings, although many of those people had just eaten at the Cheesecake Factory out near River Road. (laughs) So it's hard to figure out the causality there exactly. His latest work is his first book of short stories, Make Something Up, Stories You Can't Unread. Please welcome Chuck Palahniuk to Livewire. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Is that typical for you as you're walking around the world? People are just yelling, we love you, Chuck. In Montreal, I got Le Charlie, my first French shout out. That felt fantastic. (laughs) They say you haven't arrived until they've shouted out to you in multiple languages. Um, This uh, latest book of yours, I I read it's your first book of short stories. Why? You've written a lot of books uh, and a lot of stories. Why did you decide to go with this format for this book? The honest answer? You want the honest answer? Whichever is more interesting. (laughs) Patrick McGurl, The Program Era. 
about writing programs, MFA programs in America. And right now we are experiencing a renaissance, a golden age of short story collections, because right now they're rebuilding the syllabus of every writing program for the next 20 years. And everybody wants to be on that syllabus, and you teach with short stories. We know Dennis Johnson because of Jesus' son, and we know Juno Dinez, not for the Pulitzer Prize-winning book, I've but been because calling of... Juno the whole time like an idiot. Like a racist. Yeah. <laughs> racist idiot. So you're, this, th- what you're saying, Chuck Polinick, is that this book of short stories is just a naked attempt to work yourself into the uh, sort of academic world and become an even bigger writing star than you already are. And you're a pretty big writing star. Thank you. But when you say, you so qualify it, it's like you're a really big writing star. It's like you're really big in left-handed pizza throwing. <laughs> you don't think being a big star in writing is, uh, is sufficient? You feel like that's kind of a, uh, a backhanded compliment? Yeah, because who reads? Nobody reads. <laughs> I want, to be a big, I want to be a big star in gaming, in comics. I want to be a big star in TV. Writing. Writing is a dead language. I hope whoever gave you, uh, I assume, a large advance for this book isn't listening to the show right now. Oh, you, you assume a lot. You assume all you want. Actually, you know, I, I was curious because I have a review copy here of the book. Uh, and I, I thought that the letter that... You, first of all, you m- mailed these out yourself, which I was... Which proves just how enormous yeah, my your, advances your operation are. is. Yeah. It was like from Chuck Polinick. And then you said, Dear Luke, enclosed uh, are, is an advanced copy of Make Something Up. It's still loaded with typos, but not illegible. I'll shut up now. Chuck. <laughs> is that the kind of brevity that you bring to most? Like if you write a letter to somebody, is it just like one sentence ended with I'll shut up now, Chuck? Oh, yeah. Come on. You know, the moment you open an email and you see that it's more than a couple lines, part of you dies. (laughs) And you realize that somebody just had a lot of time on their hands and they could have said it in two sentences. But no. What's the maximum length, according to famous left-handed pizza tosser Chuck Polinick? What is the maximum length an email should be? Uh, it, It should be two sentences. What do you want? You can, you can skip the, it's been so long, I really miss you. Just cut to write, you know, I want to send you my manuscript. I want a letter of recommendation for the mailer program. Just cut right to you once so I can say no. <laughs> but isn't that other stuff, the lubrication that allows the machinery of this, this modern life to work? Yeah, and sometimes that phallus is just too big. <laughs> so... No means no. I want to mention for our stations in the South, he said fallacy, which is why we're allowed to leave that in. It might have sounded different in the recording. Fallacy. Goodness, you have a massive fallacy. (laughs) See, here we are, Chuck, talking, having a wonderful time, and yet I think a lot of people think of you as possibly a dark guy because they've read your work and it can be... Uh, bracing and it can be very honest and it can be at times dark. What, what don't people get about the bright, sunny, dog-loving person you are? Did you mention that? You... Did I mention I don't have gonorrhea? Yeah. You didn't, but I'm glad we got how that out of the many, way. How many full-time employed novelists in this room 
can say that they have tested negative for gonorrhea in the last two weeks. Very few. We'll do a survey on the way out, so don't worry. That makes me so much more attractive, doesn't it? They laugh nervously. Seriously, though, you, you, you are this, you're, you're, you seem to be an outgoing, friendly guy, and, and yet you write about really dark stuff. How do you, how, how do you sort of reconcile these two things? Are you processing the stuff when you're writing it? And so then you don't have any left when you're just being your normal self? All of my stories are kind of hyper-sexualized and excretory. Is that a word? I believe so. Because those are the stories that people bring to me. People are always bringing me the story they can't tell anybody else, including a priest. And they tell me these stories, and I find these fantastic common themes through these stories. So I repeat these stories at parties, and I develop them into greater and greater stories. You know, I was in Los Angeles a couple of years ago, and, and the publicist was telling me about friends of hers had bought a, a house, a modernist house with a, 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 one of those fireplaces where you, where you flip a switch and, and flames dance on gravel. But every time, every winter, their house stunk to high heaven. And finally, the neighbor said, did they tell you they had a cat? <laughs> See, I don't even have to tell you the reveal on that one. I tell that story in Seattle, and somebody says oh, I, I, I got a better one. One day they flipped that switch and there was a huge scream and something jumped out of the fireplace and set fire to every fabric thing they owned and their house burned down. And that is how I write, is people tell me I have a journalism degree from the University of Oregon, which looks like a massive mistake for the first 20 years. But eventually that skill set starts to gel. You pay off your student loans? <laughs> Me too, just barely. Hold that thought, Chuck. We gotta take a short break. This is Livewire Radio. We're talking to Chuck Polinick. Back with more in just a moment. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, now featuring Alaska Beyond Entertainment allowing passengers to watch movies, TV shows, and exclusive content on their own mobile devices. Because Alaska knows, time flies when you're having fun. More information at alaskaair.com slash beyond. Welcome back to Livewire Radio. From PRI, I'm Luke Burbank, your host. We're talking to Chuck Polinick. His forthcoming book is Make Something Up, Stories You Can't Unread. Uh, I understand that David Fincher, the uh, guy who directed the film version of Fight Club, is also working on a Fight Club musical that you're very excited about. David Fincher has been baiting me for years, and I thought it was just a joke that he wanted to do a musical of Fight Club because it takes so much to stage a Broadway musical that really only studios do it really well now with Hairspray, with Legally Blonde. A studio stages the big, expensive thing. And David said, we can get Trent Reznor to do the score, you can do the book, I'll direct it. And just recently, this last summer, he optioned the stage rights, and Trent agreed to spend a year doing the score. David has this massive dream of creating a rock opera because Tommy was the rock opera for my generation, and then The Wall was the rock opera for my generation. 
And we really haven't had a rock opera for uh, a generation. So David's idea is that Fight Club can be that. And you don't feel that that's diminishing the message or somehow, you know... I am designing scratch-and-sniff bookmarks for the Fight Club sequel comic. Let's talk about that, Fight Club 2, the comic. Did Shakespeare ever have scratch-and-sniff? I don't think so. Hemingway? No. Not even Joyce Carol Oates has stooped so low. So don't you lecture me about prestige and literary heritage and legacy. We would not dream of it, Chuck. Do you remember the exact place you were in and moment when the words, the first rule of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club came into your head? I was at work, where so many brilliant ideas happen at work. See, that journalism degree, it will pay off after lunch when you have nothing to do for 10 minutes. What were you doing for your day job when you were writing Fight Club? I worked for Freightliner, which is a good Portland company. Freightliner! That was pretty lame. So when, you, when that came into your head and you're at work or you're on your break and you're writing this book that so far nobody's paying any money for, did you think, damn, that is a good line. That is going to launch a thousand ships someday. Yeah, that is a hook, you know. No, I had no idea. You know, you just, it was a kind of a daydreaming thing. And the idea was to structure a story because I am first and foremost always about structure and context. Who is telling the story? And that dictates all of the transitions, the entire structure of the story. So the best place to, to get story, to study story, is to go to support groups where people are telling their story every week and they are so good at it or recovery groups where they're telling their story every week and they're so good at it, or phone sex hotlines, (laughs) which before the internet were a fantastic place because people had their story down pat. They knew exactly what they wanted and they knew how to tell that story. And so you go to these places where people tell the story and you study how good storytelling works. Um, And that's all I do is steal. And it's working out great so far. Chuck Palahniuk, ladies and gentlemen. We just heard Chuck Palahniuk talking about the musical version of Fight Club that David Fincher is working on it. Sounds like it's going to be great, but here at Livewire, we cannot wait that long. So here's how we imagine something like that may go. Coming to Broadway this fall, you've read the book, you've seen the movie, you're preparing to buy the comic book. Now, see it the way it was meant to be seen. Fight Club, the musical. There's a place that I can't tell you about A place where your dreams come true There's a place where you can hit a man And where a man can hit you Fight Club, punching dudes in a basement Fight Club, make a friend and maybe lose a tooth 
Club, the musical, the stage event of the year. A man losing his mind to insomnia struggles with a dangerous new friend. Who am I? Is there more than one person inside of me? Feeling crowded in here Who am I? When I wake up Where will I be? Will I look like Brad Pitt? The New York Times hails Fight Club the musical as inevitable And the village voice exclaims I'm pretty sure I just got mugged in the lobby. Come see the gritty truth about men and fighting and rules we all must follow. First rule, you do not talk about Fight Club. Second rule, check your pockets for loose change. Third rule, I'm pretty serious about that last one. I slipped on a dime once and it really jacked up my hip. Fourth rule, no shirts, no shoes. Up your shirts on the racks, just don't throw them all willy nilly around everywhere. Sixth rule, I've forgotten the sixth rule. Seventh rule, seventh rule, no swearing at all. I know Fight Club is the last place you'd expect to find this policy, but it's offensive to some people. Like me, like me, save that potty talk for the bathroom sailor. And if it's your first night at the Fight Club, you have to fight. Wow, what? I stepped on something. A quarter? Who did this? Fight Club, the musical. Music and lyrics by Neil Diamond and Carol Bayer Sager. Fight Club, forget the rules. Tell everyone. Andrew Harris, the Livewire Band, and even our own Dave Jorgensen, probably his first ever acting role on the show, right here on Livewire Radio. KEXP called our musical guest this hour's most recent release, their most spontaneous and playful yet, here with a song off of that release, Portland's own The Helio Sequence. Walking. 
Right here on Livewire. Livewire, which is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, where artificial colors, flavors, and preservatives are as unwelcome as the top of the yogurt container in the recycling bin, which we've never understood because it's made out of the same stuff as the container. More information, not about the lid thing, about Whole Foods can be found at wholefoodsmarket.com. In this little public radio show's humble opinion, our next guest basically carried films like Reality Bites and The Truth About Cats and Dogs. By the way, one of our producers saw that movie, The Truth About Cats and Dogs, 20 times because they love Janine Garofalo that much. That was also the producer we had to have removed from the green room earlier. It got weird. Anyway... We also loved her on The Larry Sanders Show, 24, also her radio show on Air America. Please welcome actress, writer, pundit, and also stand-up comic Janine Garofalo to Livewire. Thank you. Thank you. I've been told I only have five minutes to do stand-up. I can't, I can't even say hello in five minutes. I don't know what to do, so I'll tell you about what just happened prior to the show. I met a baby, fantastic baby, Magnolia. I was doing an interview in another room and I thought it was a doll on the table. That's how 
perfect this baby was. And then I heard gurglings and I immediately walked over and I said, give me that baby. And as with all babies, uh, a baby foot goes right in my mouth. I don't care if I know the baby, but it was wearing a onesie. I, could, I couldn't put the foot in my mouth. And uh, I love babies. I have never wanted to have children. Oh, she's cold. She's cool. Sometimes when females say that in our culture, some people make an assumption about the person. I'm neither cold nor cruel. Uh, I just, hey, if, if they stopped aging at, at around five, that would be great. Because I feel like after the age of seven, it's diminishing returns. No offense to anyone who has children seven or older. But you co-sign for a student loan, can't have it. Can't have it. Not dischargeable in bankruptcy. How many times does Susie Orman have to tell you that? She's not even on CNBC anymore. Oprah left, who shall lead us? Susie Orman, fiduciary responsibility, fiscal prudence. I like the cut of her jib. She knows what's what. She's not there anymore. I await further instruction from whom? Caesar Milan, super nanny, I'll take it, but I don't, I don't know if it's gonna work. But uh, I... Then that brought me to the personhood status that the right wing has uh, attached to, to presentient globules of cells because they want to create a pristine uterine environment for this mass of cells. But as you know with all right wingers, once you're out of the womb, bootstraps time, people, on your own. Personal responsibility. And this uh, alleged pro-life, pro-death penalty, pro-war, pro-torture, pro-guns, pro-no-hike in the minimum wage, pro-no-taxes for social safety nets, that kind of thing. It seems a little, a little counterintuitive. Now, if you're a person who is pro-life and also against the death penalty and all those things, I'm not talking about you. Uh, I'm also, with the, if I had a baby and then I have to deal with a, a food allergy of some kind. Uh, listen, I started kindergarten in 1968, graduated college in 1986. Didn't even know anyone that knew anyone that had a food allergy. There was, there was, there was a bee sting kid, of course there was. There, you heard about it, a town over, a, a, a kid who may or may not have died from get, urban legend like the frozen hot dog girl, which they don't have anymore, thankfully. Um, not even gonna elaborate on that. Some of, you, some of you who are in my age group know what I'm talking about, the frozen hot dog girl. I'm glad they don't have it anymore. The young people with the student loan debt don't know. But they can't have gluten. Is anyone here gluten intolerant? And there's no singer coming. I take no pleasure in, in bullying the... I don't like bullies. Chris Christie, are you here? Is Chris Christie here? He's a bully. Big, beautiful, curvy, plus-size governor of New Jersey. Embraces his curve. Belted here. Like Abbott and Costello. Pleated, no less. But I guess flat front pleated at six and one half at that point. And I would never take ad hominem attacks at anyone's physical appearance if they had a moral compass. Uh, but also, gate, I just want to get this out of the way, was never meant to be a suffix for any political misdeed. Gate, that has to stop. Deflate gate. Apparently a sporting event had a football that was deflated. Um, I'm, not, I'm not really up on my sports, but 
but Bridgegate, whatever, gate, gate. The Watergate was a building that Nixon's plumbers broke into. Uh, at least we should be glad they didn't break into a Marriott Courtyard extended stay, because that would be a very unwieldy discussion on Meet the Press. It would just take forever to do that. Citizen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the sharing economy. Although Airbnbs, I'm of two minds about that. There's a gentleman on my floor, knuckle supper, Airbnb. Somebody has keys to... Not to mention, very quickly, I, will dis- I wasn't going to discuss this, but I'll do it. Um, I'm 10F in my building in New York. 10G. I was forced to write a note. I don't like that kind of thing. It creates an atmosphere. They do not break down their boxes. Nor do they... Why are wire hangers in with the plastic bottles? It, it, it's a fool's errand. It, it makes no sense. And... In November, they got a flat screen. They get a lot of catalogs. There's a lot of styrofoam peanuts, a lot of boxes. In November, uh, it reached a tipping point. They got a flat screen. You couldn't shut the garbage room door on my floor. It was... The box for the flat screen TV was from your knee, no exaggeration, to your knee. And I always break down the boxes and do it because I don't want Zoltan to think it's me. Zoltan is a maintenance man in my building that I have an enormous crush on. Um, swarthy. Arms like canned hams, but not from working out. Just honest labor. About six foot three. I like that kind of thing. I mean, I'm asexual, which is, we don't have time to get into that, but I am. I have a, a, not libidinous, never have been. There was a brief period, 37 to 43, but I think that was a biological imperative. Again, as, but prior to that, just flatline with it. But there's something about Zoltan. Now, Zoltan is from Transylvania. People are really from Transylvania. Uh, I didn't know that. Did not know that. Uh, I've evolved since then. Uh, I was just thinking Bram Stoker, that kind of thing. I have grown since then. In fact, a lot of the maintenance gentlemen are from Transylvania. It's a real who-you-know kind of a job. <laughs> In, in my building. But it really bothers me that, that 10G doesn't break down their boxes. And, and also, with the flat screen, did I mention the potted plant that was just a dead, dead brown leaves and household garbage shoved into the pot? I ask you. Well, I never. And uh, so I clean that up. And, and Zoltan from Transylvania, I'm guessing he did not travel all the way from Transylvania in the hold of a cargo ship covered in earth. I think that's how they travel from Transylvania. <laughs> to clean up 10Gs. And I'm sure 10G isn't the only one. I'm sure every other floor is the same way. Poor citizenship. I doubt they're door holders. I'm a door holder. I also give modern art a try. We can do a qualitative assessment of my uh, liabilities and assets, and there's plenty of liabilities, but I, I give modern art a try. It's who I am. I don't want to. I don't want to, but I do it. I, I, will go, I will go to a gallery, and I will look at the piece, and I will resist the urge to say, I could have done that. I think it. I think it. I don't say it. I don't say it. But anyway, so I was forced to write a note to 10G because enough is enough. 
But I did the right thing. I didn't do a hit and run. Whoever's not breaking down their box, I didn't do that. I said, hi, it's Janine and Tenef. Would you mind terribly breaking down your boxes and recycling properly? Thank you. And I felt so guilty. I put a sticker from the Sierra Club of a great northern Rockies wolf. <laughs> and uh, since we're in Portland, as you know, you'll get letters from that wolf that say, please help me, and they'll use your name. Uh, if you're in the Sierra Club, I know you know this, and the, you'll get a letter from the wolf where it's anthropomorphized, uh, and the wolf asks you to help him personally. <laughs> Be that as it may, I put that sticker on, and then I felt sick. I was like, where to now for to have attention? What's going to happen? Sure enough, the next morning, note under my door that said, got it. Were they being sarcastic? <laughs> we just can't know. And now I can't go out in the hall when I hear footsteps. I'm late for everything. I can't, I can't go out there. I, I just can't go out there. And my peephole's too tall, so I can't, I can't see who's there. And I could bring a chair over, but I'm afraid a knitting needle will come through the other end. I saw that in a Japanese horror film in 1974 and it had a real stick-to-your-ribs quality to it for the scare. Now, I am done. So... Janine Garofalo. What do I do with this? I Hi. hang on to it? Yeah. You keep it. Thank you. And then we sit down, and then we make a plan to kill that Which one? The guy who's not throwing the garbage away properly. Not Zoltan. Can you take me back to Newton, New Jersey? When Newton, you were New Jersey, where I was born. A young girl praying that God would help you dream of Mike Nesmith before you went oh, to sleep. Wait. First of all, I was just born in Newton, then I moved to Sparta briefly, and then was raised in Madison, New Jersey. Okay. Madison, um, New Jersey. Mike Nesmith obsessed. Mike, okay. Starting in 60... This is on... I, I love the monkeys to this day. Love the music. But Mike Nesmith was one of my first crushes I can recall. I had a huge crush on Mike Nesmith, as, I guess as one can at four. And, you know, I had the opportunity to meet him Around 1997, I was so tongue-tied that I'm afraid I came off as rude. I've always regretted that. I'm sure he has no recollection of this, but I have replayed that in my mind. He was so nice to me, and all I stammered, and I didn't say anything, and I was hungover, very hungover. Don't worry, I quit drinking the second intervention took 2000. But um, <laughs> I was hungover, and he, he was talking to me. I was like, Mike Nesman. And he even said, would you like to come to lunch with me and my girlfriend? And I said, No. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. But what would I say? What, what could I possibly say to Mike Nesmith, uh, who I wish I had a do-over? You, you um, are uh, also aware that he uh, invented, uh, his mom invented Whiteout, right? Whiteout, and he invented MTV for all intents and purposes, and then the idea was stolen. Uh, he went and met with the people who eventually did create MTV, and he sat with them. You know, he had elephant parts, and then he had videos, and he was at the forefront of that. And he met with some of the people who started MTV, and they said it's never going to work, and then they just stole the idea. I but, but he's fine financially with the whiteout. Yeah. <laughs> Although that's not a growth industry, if you think no, no, about no. it. It was at one time. It, it, he, he's fine. Yeah. He's still touring, too. Yeah. I was look, we're talking to Janine Garofalo, by the way, and I was looking at your IMDb page today, which starts, quote, Janine Garofalo, the petite woman with the acerbic wit. I don't feel acerbic, nor am I cynical. I'm quite chatty. And, uh, and I hate to get into gender 
binaries. This is not a woman's studies course at Evergreen University. Would Actually, that it was? Yeah. Believe me, no one would like that as more than me. Some of these but, people are getting online credit for being but, here, though. But so it's not I, a total loss. I do think that when female stand stand-ups are judged by a different standard, nobody ever says to Dave Chappelle, "Why are you so angry? Why are you so angry, Dave Chappelle?" It, 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 it's just. And I'm not actually. Uh, I, I uh, just just talking about certain things doesn't make it acerbic. I feel like it's used as a pejorative type. Well, how of does thing. it end up on your IMDb I'm, bio? Oh, who knows? Who controls the IMDb? Not you, apparently. The Oracle. Right? No, no, no. I, I don't use a computer. I, I know that some people think I'm lying. I tried for a couple years. I, I I'm a bit of a neolite. I I have I have a cell phone, but it's not a smartphone. I had a Samsung flip phone until it died. I had to give up the ghost. They don't make it anymore, so I had to get another Samsung. It has a keyboard still. I don't use it. I just wanted it. And uh, all I do is text or make phone calls. I, I, I don't, I don't want to... I have no social media platforms. There's a fake me tweeting and a fake Facebook me. But that's not me. But I, Is it I, even a person you know? Is it like no, a rep no. for you No, somebody or bought my name, too. Like, has the rights to use my name, and they use pictures. Um, it happens to a lot of people, but if you're going to do that, how about somebody with a little more juice? What is this, 1998? <laughs> yeah, why, why, why would you pick that one? Not, not a great Q rating at this point, but um, it's something that, that I, I, I feel like with social media platforms and stuff... The more you put yourself out there, the more you're giving people the opportunity to dislike you uh, because of the cultural cruelty that has grown up around the whole cyber world and stuff like that. Uh, and also, I just, and also people say, why don't you do a podcast? I think there's enough. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I need to do a podcast. Plus that, I would have to do stuff. I, I'm not a real doer. That's another reason I've never wanted to have kids. You, you have to say yes. You know what I mean? Yes. To, to living. <laughs> you gotta do stuff. If you're gonna have kids if you do it right. I don't like to go above 14th Street. I live on 10th Street in New York. I, I, I don't get a lot done in a day. And you like it that way. Well, it's not that I like it. It's just who I... I do a lot of Clorox swiping, swiffering, and Febrezing, yeah. which is like cleaning, but not really getting to the heart of the matter, which is <laughs> metaphorical for my is- issue, yeah. I think. You seem, though, like you have a lot to say, Janine, you, and you were with Air America. It mm-hmm. seemed that, uh, like a podcast. You know, I do stand-up. I feel like I speak in stand-up, but I don't want to. I don't want to. And I'd have to do stuff like call people and say, will you be on my show? Then we'd have to meet and do it. It might have to happen during the day. And, uh, You've got a whole situation with the garbage that you're dealing with right now. I, I'm you're not, tied you know, up. When I'm breaking down those boxes, it's like 2, 3 a.m. <laughs> um, I just, I just, and brunch, are you kidding me? Who, why does anyone, and sometimes people say, do you want to meet for breakfast? Say that again with a straight face. Did you just ask me if I want to meet for breakfast? What, 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 what? Why is, I, why is anyone me? No, before you fly out from the airport, you want to get together and meet for it's, it's madness. Is this your way of telling me we're not having breakfast tomorrow, Janine? No, I didn't know you wanted to, but uh, I, don't take it personally. I, I wouldn't have breakfast with myself. I, wouldn't, I just wouldn't have breakfast. It's crazy. Wait, wait hold it right there. Janine, I want to hear more about things you won't do, but we've got to take a quick break. This is Livewire Radio from PRI. Back in a moment. 
Hey, it's Luke. And look, you may have forgotten your New Year's resolution by now, but our sponsor, Ergo Depot, has a new one for you, and it is the easiest one ever. Sit less. How's that for an achievable goal? It's not like run a marathon or bench 250. In fact, there's no benching of any kind. You just need to move a little more. And maybe think about getting a swanky new desk like the Jarvis, which morphs itself into a standing desk with just the touch of a button. Visit ergodepot.com and they'll set you up for goal setting success. Now we do need to talk about your personality. Welcome back. That is that was a quick break. He's yes. not. We that was a quick break. We do not lie on this show. That was a very, very quick little stop. And we'll remind, we'll remind people now, this is Live Wire Radio coming to you from Portland, Oregon. Revolution Hall. Janine Garofalo is here. Um, I have a Fight Club story. Will you share it, please? I would like to share it. Um, years ago when I had a movie career, um, I got a call from my agent saying, David Fincher would like to meet you. And so I met him at a hotel in Los Angeles, and I was uh, getting ready to fly back to New York, but he handed me a script, and he said, if you like this script, this part is yours. It was for Fight Club, and it was the part that Helena Bonham Carter went on to play, so I guess you know how this story ends. But I thought it was going to um, be the Brad Pitt part. Oh, I wish. <laughs> uh, but So I loved the script, read it on the plane, called him the next day and said, I'm in. And he was like, fine. Then... Time goes by, and I don't hear from him, and then my agent calls me again and says, I just read in the trades that Helena Bonham Carter is playing your part. We had actually signed a, an agreement, and as it turned out, Ed Norton said no. Um, and he said, wait, 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 he's a wonderful actor, and he just, he said, I guess, this is the story I heard from David Fincher. He said, uh, Ed feels you don't have the chops to do it, the, the acting chops, which, fair enough. And I said, can I please audition for Ed Norton? Ed said no. And uh, he had wanted Courtney Love to play the part because they were, they were together at that time. Brad Pitt said no to that. <laughs> and um, no, like, Courtney Love, though, can be a very good actor. I, I, I am yeah, not a Courtney Love basher. I'm fascinated by her. I think she's an intellectual. And I think that, that, uh, that there are issues at play that people don't factor in. They, they, don't, they don't treat her issues with compassion, which I think she deserves. She's a very bright person. Okay. And me... I, I think she takes it on the chin way too much. And again, I think gender has something to do with it. But, um... but wait, can I, can I just go back to, to one part of that story, which is you signed a whole contract. It's not a contract. Just... It was one of these things called like a... a the, it's sort of a, a letter of agreement prior to the, the real paperwork going through. But... Not only that, he had said verbally, sat across from him. And so then after I found out about that, I called him, as I said, and, and he said, uh, Ed said no. And I said, can you do that? Give somebody a part and then take it away? He goes, apparently. <laughs> That's the last words I've ever spoken to David Fincher. But, um, so then does that... Now, having said that, Helena Bonham Carter is a fantastic actor and did a better job than, than I believe I could have. And also, I'm not comfortable with that kind of sex scenes and stuff like that. That would have been a rough go for Garofalo. I, I would have been very uncomfortable. If you write a memoir, can it please be called Rough Go for rough Garofalo? Rough Go for Garofalo. 
That I would have never been able to, to, and I hear David Fincher could be very rough on the actors, uh, and it probably would have been my undoing. And it could, and I always try and think like I might have, if I had gotten the part and it, it didn't work out, I could have been fired, which would have been worse. But there's a scene where Ed Norton's got his hands on Helena Bonham Carter's bare breast. No, thank you. Not, not that uh, because of Ed Norton. He's no, no Zoltan. I don't even touch. I lie all the time, uh, say that I do self checks. No way, Jose. I don't do. I don't. I don't touch. I don't touch it. I don't want to. I feel like if you go seeking issues physically, that's what gets you in trouble. Just leave it. Leave it. Don't get screenings. Don't get physicals. Don't strengthen your core. Leave it. Wow. Uh, Inside Hollywood stories and questionable medical advice from. <laughs> Janine Garofalo, right here on Livewire. Thank, Thank you, Janine. You. This is Livewire Radio. That was Janine Garofalo. We're talking about dark matters this week on the show. We now bring you the tense moments from the bridge of a frigate somewhere in the North Atlantic on a dark and stormy night. I don't like it, boy. I don't like it one bit. Captain, what is it? It's a storm, laddie. A dark, vengeful bitch's brew of a storm. Approaching our boat from the north. What should we do, Captain? There's nothing to be done, boy. We could hoist the sails or batten them down. We could even abaft the baggy wrinkle and full court press the nickel defense. It ain't gonna matter none. The storm is a-coming. And we're right smack in our path. Oh, can't we try changing course, Captain? No, boy, we'd never make it. This here storm is God's wrath after banging the top of his head on the freezer door. Shackle your broomsticks and jam croissant dough in your armpit, boy. She's ten days of video store late fees and a golf ball hemorrhoid rolled into one. Uh, okay. I'm telling you straight, lad. She's a real knuckle muncher. She's going to pop the lint out your belly button, paint your cousin copper, and send the Barker lounger right back to Crate and Barrel without a receipt. Captain, are we going to die? It's hard to say, laddie, but she is a true widow maker. That's no lie. You'd better convert to Roman mythology, sell all your shares in soybeans, and make your peace with M. Night Shyamalan. Because, son... In a matter of minutes, you'll be three corn dogs deep on a roller coaster ride straight to hell. Wishing by God you had kissed Sonia Sharpini at the homecoming game when her cheeks were red and cold from the wind and her eyes glistened with jubilation of beating Bremerton in overtime when you just stood there, fumbling for a joke about the mascot when all you needed to do was grab her face in your shaken hands and kiss her. Kiss the damn girl, you fool, but you blew it. You blew it Captain, all and now you'll Captain, never have the chance again. Captain. Aye, boy, she's an angry goose with no mustard, so jettison the beard cream and crank some John Cicada. I, I think it's pronounced Cicada, Captain, but... Him too. What about the outboard motor? Can't can we just fire that up and just zip on out of here? Wow, I, I totally forgot we had one of those. Uh, go ahead and crank it up, Denny. Uh, uh, yeah, one more time. Well, yeah, uh, all right, now just oh. forget what I said about the storm. Oh, oh yeah, we're, we're really going now. Yeah, now we're making some good time. Yeah, we're going to get around. 
Andrew Harris and Sean McGrath. All right, one more time. Give it up for the Helio sequence.
The Helio Sequence, right here on Livewire Radio. That's our show. Thank you for Thank coming you out. We will see you next week. Our thanks to our guests, Chuck Polinick, Janine Garofalo, and Helio Sequence. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hameister is head writer and producer. Jim Brunberg is producer and member of our house band, along with Jonathan Newsom, Dave Jorgensen, and Ben Landsberg. Jason Rouse is associate producer and part of our writing team, along with Alex Falcone, Sean McGrath, and guest writer this week, Caitlin Kunkel. Graham Nystrom is our technical director, house sound by D. Neil Blake. Lighting by Jillian Tabler. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, Meyer Memorial Trust, the Oregon Arts Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Maybell Clark McDonald Fund, the Oregon Community Foundation, Work for Art, the Multnomah County Cultural Coalition, and listeners like you find people. For more information about the show or becoming a member of LiveWire, visit LiveWireRadio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at LiveWire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank. I'll see you next week. PRI Public Radio International.